In this episode of the Explore Information Security Podcast, what is threat intelligence? Part two. Welcome to the Explore Information Security Podcast, where you learn, explore, and grow your security mindset. I'm your host, Timothy D. Block, and in this episode, we will be continuing our exploration of what is threat intelligence with Rob Gresham, former practice lead security operations for McAfee. So, so what, I guess, what can, and maybe you've already kind of touched on this, what, what can organizations that with a small team, you got, like you said, three people that are security people, and that's kind of their job. What can, what can they do to like really um, use threat intelligence or, or is it just more respond, working on the incident response of it? So when you look at, um, so we go back to that whole risk equation, right? Risk is equal to threat times vulnerability times impact, right? So threat intelligence is really tied to understanding the threat, right? Vulnerability is vulnerability or malware is vulnerability malware analysis. That's that whole that whole vulnerability management scenario, right? And then you have impact. Well, so vulnerability management, you need to scan your environment, know where your risks are, right? Mm-hmm. Um, malware, you need to have your malware. You need to have the basics, right? You need to have an antivirus. And I know everybody's like, oh, antivirus sucks. (laughs) John Strand will tell you 20 20 ways to Sunday. Yeah, you know, I could bypass anybody's stuff, whether it's Silence, whether it's Semantic, McAfee, you know, Kaspersky, Trend Micro. He does them all. And he's like, ha ha, look, Sentinel-1. I think Sentinel-1's the only one that's probably given him a a good bit of trouble for his money but even silence he's gotten past that done it three different times in three different ways um naturally they pay very close attention to what john and his team does because that just shows them how bad they are or you, you, know, you got travis or Mondi or tavis or Mondi who's basically tearing semantic a new one because he shows how code execution can be done from their platform right all these things are happening but what the reality is is and I use this analogy to understand it. You've got this awesome, you know, S fifty five hundred um, Beamer outside, and you're driving, and you go to the dealership, and you pick it up, and it's a beautiful car, and it's got a great alarm system on it, and you tap on the window, the wah wah, or, or you remember the uh, the alarm systems from back in the day where you walk up to the car and just please step away from the car, right? You got this great alarm system, but the reality is, is if I take a tow truck and lift it up to thirty seven degrees the the alarm disables itself right right and i can drive the car off because that's the that's the effort it takes for a tow truck to lift the front end of a car up far enough to get it on either a platform or to get it up in towing position so that causes that's just a condition that the alarm people aren't going to let you drag you know your repo guy isn't going to let the alarm drag him around four blocks going the thing is is that when you realize that you're anybody can go in and bypass your alarm in a very easy way you're like well why do i need that well then you go and you you get the slick you know guy comes up hey i got this new thing it's called lojack if you put it in your car the cops will find it it's got gps enablement it doesn't matter where they take it where they go we'll find them all you gotta do is call the cops tell them your lojack number they look it up and they go get your car bring it back to you and you're just like, yes, this is the tool I need to save my Mercedes, right? And then you you buy it, you put it in, and then your Mercedes gets stolen too. 
the reality is, is it doesn't matter what shiny new thing you put. If you left your Mercedes on the street with the doors unlocked, yeah, somebody's going to steal it. Mm-hmm. Right. You, if you want to protect your Mercedes, you can't just leave it in the driveway. You have to put it in the garage. You got to lock the garage. You got to close the door. Right. You're going to make sure that it's in the secure space, even with the alarm on. Right. You want to protect that car as much as you possibly can. Do you need to put lights around the outside of your garage? And this whole defense and depth mantra. Right. But the other thing is, is you're not just because you got the low jack, you're not going to go and take your car to the dealership and go, dude, I'm putting this low jack thing in. You need to take that alarm off. I don't want that alarm. I'm going to use this only this low jack thing because it's it's way better than your alarm. And antivirus is the same way. Antivirus is the the cheap poor. Well, maybe not so much cheap poor man's, but it's the cheaper security system to keep the majority of the commodity malware out of your environment. Right. What? Well, yeah, and I mean, this might be going off off topic a bit, but antivirus seems to have, at least in my experience, kind of morphed into something more to where there's more like USB protection. And, you know, so it's not just antivirus anymore. It's doing a bunch of this other stuff like application whitelisting, things like that. Well, that, that and naturally they want to make it easier for you to do other things, right? Like McAfee, for example, they be they came out with this thing that the DOD used called HBSS, or they remonikered, which is the host-based security system. But really what it was is it was a suite of McAfee products and included with ePolicy Orchestrator, which was like the GUI front end, and all these plugins came in. And it was everything from rogue system detection to the endpoint management to encryption to disk drive or to USB management to disk drive encryption or file level encryption to a bunch of other things, you know, like data loss prevention tools that go on there, where Symantec built all those tools with separate consoles. Same tools, just separate consoles. Um, And you look at the new ones, the new EDRs, all they are is hunting tools. They don't do, they don't remove the threat, they just block it or stop it, right? Oh, well, you got a bad process on here. Well, we'll just stop that process. But... (laughs) The thing that infected the system is still there. You didn't get rid of that. Right. Right? If I, if I got file licks, or power, was it not file licks? Power licks, which is a pseudo fileless malware, actually, because the registry is a file, it's not fileless, really. But the, it injects into the registry the code to go pull down the dropper. So every time, instead of it pointing to a file, it pulls to code. And the code pulls down the dropper. Or if you've seen this, you've probably seen this at one time or before, actually embedding the malware dropper into the registry as hex, right? And just running it from uh, executing the hex code right straight out of the registry. Mm -hmm. Those kinds of things occur, right? And there's no real file there. There's no real scanning you can do. There's no file on the disk other than the registry, so you kind of miss the point of doing an analysis, but it bypasses a lot of these tools and capabilities. So, does that cover? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Trying yeah, to make awesome. sure. I'm, sometimes I, I get squirrely and I go off into la-la land of all the uh, cool no, things that we no, can No, I kind of I <laughs> derailed us there. So, um, no, so, and, and so getting back to, to the point a little bit, and, and what I'm kind of taking away from this, and I love it, is that it... I feel like it kind of like threat intelligence has this kind of connotation or romanticism with it. But really what what I'm hearing is that it, it's like kind of basic 
basic strategy is, is, you know, asset management and just understanding your environment in general, logging, things like that. Well, it is. It's tied. Threat intelligence start, especially internal threat intelligence, starts with understanding your internal environment. When you, when you, it's a maturity thing. So you've done some consulting, I would agree, right? So at, at this point, um, when you've done some consulting, you have understood that some customers are going to use external threat intelligence. Some customers are understanding, starting to understand their asset manager, their internal environment. And then some customers, they don't rely, they're having external stuff, but their practitioners never look at it. Mm-hmm. They really don't care. They like AV. I know guys, I know teams that look at AV. They don't even look at their AV anymore. They just like go, go block whatever you're going to block. I don't even care about that anymore. Cause what I'm really looking at is I'm looking at the network and I'm looking at the host based artifacts and I'm looking for certain TTPs or techniques that are coming off of those systems. Like, can you name me a system, a application that pulls all the persistence off of every workstation? in your environment and tells you what's there. No. But persistence is one of those things that it's on every system and it's about 300 lines deep on the average and it's every malware wants to use it on a Windows box without question. Every piece of malware is going to put some kind of persistence in there. And there's one tool that does 98% of all the persistence on a Windows box. Can you name the tool? So tidbit for today. Auto runs from the sysinternals tool will give you everything but DCOM persistence mechanisms and lay it in a CSV so you can analyze the persistence on every single box. Stage one of exploitation for a piece of malware is to persist itself in the environment well guess what if you know what your persistence level looks like and you know what standard files look like you can sit there and just pivot out of persistence throw it in a pivot table in excel very cheap and easy way of analysis look at it and go through the persistence mechanism if you know what your baseline looks like you can immediately go oh that doesn't look right we found a printer object i was doing a uh, hunting exercise which hunting and threat intelligence there's, it's like the Lego blocks of security for, for security operations. You have to do incident response before you can go to threat threat hunting, right? You mm-hmm. have to start to do some kind of threat intelligence to do threat hunting because if you don't understand the adversary, you're not going to find anything. You're going to be Elmer Fudd, right? I did a webinar on, on threat intelligence. One of the things I did was don't be a Fudd because – Fear, uncertainty, and doubt. It was a play on that. But the reality is <laughs> Elmer Fudd, if you remember Elmer Fudd, he would be hunting rabbits, right? And he would go and stick his gun in the rabbit, his shotgun in the rabbit hole and wait for the rabbit to come out. And what would the rabbit do? The rabbit would go come outside and go, hey, what's up, doc? What you doing? And the funny part about it is he's looking right at the rabbit. He doesn't know what the rabbit looks like. And that's what people do when they go hunting and they don't understand their environment because they don't even know what they're looking for. Right, you have to understand your base to understand what you're looking for. Because to me, being a you know 26 year military guy jumping out of airplanes, hunting real bad guys with real weapons, my idea of hunting is I go in the woods. I don't know what the bad. I know what the bad guy looks like. I know what he does. I don't know where he is. I got to go find him. 
which means I need to scu- I need to cover every stretch of woods, every square foot with a body, and make sure he's not in this space that I was in charge to clear, and walk through that space. And that's really what threat intelligence at the at the epitome of threat intelligence coming back, right? How you generate it is what I found in my process of going through my environment and understanding the analysis of understanding what normal looks like and what abnormal looks like. For example, I was talking about this threat hunting exercise and I'm going through a couple events on on some of the workstations and I pull up this one uh, persistence mechanism and it shows me the printer drivers and I see HP underscore print exe as the driver and I'm like, hmm, I've never seen an HP printer driver look like that ever. Right. And I've only been doing this, you know, a couple of years. But the reality is I've never seen an HP printer. So what do I do? I go to the Oracle of all knowing things, Google, and I see what I find. And everything I find has Russian or or uh, or Chinese characters attached to it. Well, that can't <laughs> possibly be good. So <laughs> there's no English reference and there is no HP reference to this. So this can't possibly be something I want to look for. Uh-huh. Um, so naturally, you know, we go through an incident response cycle and we go through that. But the reality is, is once you start to understand and how we, when I was um, a part of McAfee in the in the in the, the practice lead for security operations, we were part of this team called the Foundstone team. It's a consulting practice inside McAfee, um, but we're product agnostic. And the best part about that is we get to teach people how to do this. It's not about the product. It's about let's learn how to do this so that when you learn how to do a triage of a, of a system you know what you're looking for you go like i'm my as an ir guy an incident responder my first thing i'm looking for persistence because i can't make the malware stop if i can't kill its replication or its persistence through a reboot right so there's two things i'm looking for how does it replicate i'm looking how does it maintain persistence and most things on the average they either they, they're going to, on a Windows environment, they're going to replicate through SMB. It's the easiest thing they can do, right? And if they're trying to do something else, it's kind of, it's usually kind of squirrely or it's very custom made in some way. That might be a little bit more difficult to track. But most of the time, the most advanced actors want to use the most noisiest mechanism, and SMB is one of those mechanisms that makes it really easy for them. But does that kind of help answer those mm-hmm. questions with that? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so let's... It, Briefly, um, how does an organization get started? Would you say it's it's so it's understand the environment and then incident response and then forensics and then pretty much I mean then threat hunting or or did I miss a step there? No, you're right. It's the first thing is understanding your assets, right? Because when you look at it from an incident response perspective, right? If you have an event, the visibility of the event. Mm-hmm. If you get an IP address that's causing an event in your network monitoring tool and you look backwards right you don't know what that asset is attached to the ip address what do you got to do you got to end map it you got to figure out you got to kind of get an idea of it but or you got to go back to the business and go hey what is this system well if they're not doing asset management you're not going to be able to fix it so when i've done assessments a lot of the assessments is aligned around doing incident response from inside the security operation to look out how you see out because that asset management capability gives the instant responder visibility, right? Now, hopefully you have visibility into everything that you need to see, whether it's network or endpoints. Chances are you're not going to have every visibility. But as long as you've got core key pieces, right, you've got the 
the egress routes, and maybe you got some lateral movement between the d- the data center and your in your host environments, your user environments, and then you want to go into some kind of forensics, whether it's triage, right? You don't have to do everything, but you have to understand if you're doing just triage forensics, you're you have to understand time zero, patient zero, what happened, what did it do to the box, right? Did it lay persistence? How did it transition? How did it get there? How did it pivot out? And then the second thing you have to understand is what is the piece of malware you're analyzing? Well, you need a sandbox for that, whether you use Cuckoo, whether you use VirusTotal. There's a lot of resources out there that you don't necessarily have to build these on these things on your own. And then mm-hmm. once that occurs, you need a tool, which is the, this is really the hardest space right now. You need a tool for collecting and analyzing the links between the two. Crits has been the de facto tool, right? to do the link analysis of the association. But recently, tools like Resilient, which you're going to pay a pretty penny for, are really awesome tools. But there's some other uh, little cheaper tools out there that give you, a little, like Viper and a couple of others, that give you a little bit more understanding of the malware, but not the relationship that you would get out of something like Maltigo or something along that lines, where you're starting to tie all the bits and pieces together so that you can build a campaign. Um, the key is, is you can do threat intelligence without running a campaign process, right? Um, if you're looking at threat intelligence and you're an analyst looking at, like I showed you, all the persistence mechanisms, if you want to do a link analysis, do a long tail analysis of all your persistence mechanisms. You have 10, you have 1,000 systems, pull 100 of those systems from server and workstation and process them in a script or a file or Excel spreadsheet or whatever and figure out where the commonalities are. Because long tail analysis states that the more frequent the occurrence is, the less likely it's to be malware, right? Because it's supposed to be there. The less frequent the occurrence, the the more likely it's either anomalous or it's malware. What we we found is is that the lower end of the 10%, the the last one to ten percent objects that you find in an environment are most likely one-offs. Um, it's in that ten percent to eighty percent frequency ratio is where malware lives most of the time. You're either a hundred, you're either a lot owned because malware doesn't want to live in a one-off, two-off environment. They want if an actor's been in your environment for a while, they're in ten fifteen. It doesn't take them that long to spread, but they want to live in that space. And I'm babbling on so i want to make sure did i kind of help <laughs> no yeah that's right no, that's absolutely that was some really good good stuff absolutely um so I, I guess on that note what what resources are available for learning more about threat intelligence so we i think i laid something for your link notes is the awesome threat intelligence uh is a link of all kinds of different things and different ways to learn and it's a really good collection of stuff I would start out with reading David Bianco's Pyramid of Pain because it starts out with the whole idea of what is and what is the data that my threat intelligence and where does the data, you know, where does that data turn into intelligence, right? When you're looking at, um, I use a tool called Recorded Future, and people are like, oh, that's a threat intelligence platform. I'm like, no, it's a data platform. The intelligence comes when the analyst looks at it and starts to align the things that matter, right, to their organization. Not because 
recorded future put it together and said this is an actor and this actor's been using these things that's analysis but the real true actionable piece is does that matter to my organization or does it not that's what's key and critical um and whether you're doing uh malware based analysis or you're doing actor based analysis it doesn't really matter because there's other uh, other companies like intel 471 that do actor-based analysis where they're on the deep dark web right we haven't even talked about that but they're (laughs) in the deep dark web hanging out with bad guys um and i I did a blog where i'm sure you know dave kennedy you've been out to probably Mm -hmm. DerbyCon, right and he hates clowns so i did a i did a shout out to him because i put um you know sometimes there's this uh saying about you know you if you stare into the abyss long enough the abyss begins to look back and 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 in this, I I mentioned that in the web in the webinar. And what I do is I have Pennywise the clown fade up into the screen <laughs> for Dave, just just because I know he loves it. If he, if he ever spots my stuff, he might hate me or haunt me later. But that, I figured that would be fun for him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Um, is there anything else you'd like to mention that we haven't already discussed? No, I th- I think we've covered pretty much everything that we can. I think the biggest thing that that uh, that I would want to say about what we're doing and what we're trying to do is that the threat intelligence should be shared. The data should be free. Um, an IP address is not classified to your company. The fact that it came from your IP address or your host environment might be confidential to your organization, but the IP address. And the characterization that it did to your environment isn't. Just remember that because a lot of people overclassify what's in their environment and say, oh, well, I can't share that. And we really need to be able to share the data in order to make it viable and executable for other people. If we're going to use external threat intelligence, um, it needs to be shared broadly and quickly as as fast as possible because the actors are doing it. Why aren't we? Right, right. Okay, so what would you like to plug? So you got my you you got my LinkedIn. If you like what mm-hmm. you're hearing and and that, you can reach me at uh, LinkedIn at R W Gresham. You find me there, or you'll find me on Twitter at R W Gresham. It's been the same one. I have another one that's differentiate, but I haven't been using that one in a while. Um, and then uh, uh, the other links about the awesome threat intelligence on GitHub, and then the uh, the pyramid of pain, David Bianco's pyramid of pain. List David Bianco has done a, quite a few things um, uh, with uh, Pyramid of Pain and threat hunting, and I, you know, I look at him as a, you know, the rock star. Him and Doug Burks, who created Security Onion, I just, you know, I get to go out to Augusta and see those guys talking, and mm-hmm. I just, I just feel impressed by the the power of the people that I have around me um, in this industry, and how some of the cool things like Chris Sanders that they're doing. Um, and training like Chris Sanders, if you want to read about cognitive biases and threat intelligence, you can go see his stuff. He's got a lot of good stuff on that too. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Well, that should do it. Uh, thank you for joining me to discuss what is threat intelligence. Thanks again. That will do it. Hopefully you learned something. Feedback is welcome at timothy.dblock at gmail.com or on Twitter at Timothy Dblock. Show notes can be found at Timothy dblock.com forward slash E-I-S. If you enjoyed the show, share it with others and rate it on iTunes. Have a good one.